All right, good morning. I'm, I'm going to just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in just a minute, and I want to kind of invite you to follow along with me in that. But it was super cool this, this morning when uh, I was just kind of sitting back there, and uh, Isaiah was getting ready to be baptized in like way early, like several songs early. He just jumped in the baptism, um, baptistry, and I was like, man, we, we got a little ways. And he goes, that's fine, man. I'm just going to hang out right here, man. But I was thinking about how beautiful it was, you know, just kind of watching that. And I want you to think about um, just the different stories represented in this room and and uh, kind of what was said this morning. You think about what baptism means. And we're used to growing up saying, okay, what does baptism mean in the Bible? And that's a healthy question. But it also means something very different to every individual. And there's a lot of people in this room that came out of lives um, that, man, you were a different person. You came out of a dark place, and you know what new birth means. And there's other people that you can look at it and say, oh, my God, thank you for giving me wisdom to pursue something higher at a young age. You know, And, and it means something different to a lot of different people. Um, and I was thinking about Paul, and it was so important that I kind of put this into context, what's, what's happening with Paul. And um, I hate it that I can't really identify with anything good in Paul's life. Um, I've never been as smart as Paul, uh, obviously. I've never, um, I've never had the zeal that Paul had. Uh, uh, there's nothing in Paul that, that I, I even feel worthy to even sort of identify with. But, but the one thing I can, I can say is it's crazy for me in my life to have come from a place where I took pride in the fact that I, I was the ultimate cynic. Uh, you couldn't out-criticize me. Um, I love criticizing people. <laughs> I loved criticizing church. You know what I'm saying? I, I loved that idea of, of coming and saying, what is this religious show? What is with this? And whatever church I went to, it was a different form of criticism. You know, I would come and just say, what? Great. The preacher's got a funny joke. That was really funny. Um, he's going to try to relate this to me somewhere in here. It's, I'd get more out of reading a comic strip, probably. Maybe, maybe a book. I, and, 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 and having that attitude about life, and especially about religion, and then all of a sudden getting to a point in your life because of God's activity in your life, I will never forget in high school. Um, I went to a really, really big high school. And I went through a time of just introspection where I would sit across the street and look at my school. And I would read books. I would read the Quran some. I would read the Bible some. I, I wasn't committed to anything necessarily, but I would read different. And then I would just look up and I would see uh, people that I've known all my life going in and out cared about who they're dating, what their job's going to be, what's going to happen in the future. And I remember sitting there thinking, and I think it was almost the Spirit speaking to me as a, as a child, really. Um, man, we're no different from ants. You're just going back and forth to your mate, and you live life, and you're pushing dirt from this place to the next place, and then you die. And then we criticize those that lift up their eyes to something higher, to something bigger, to something greater. And um, God did some amazing transformation in my life, you know, and it was crazy the first time I sat and I, <laughs> and I had to stand up in front of somebody. And the first time I remember being critiqued, you know, <laughs> and you're sitting here thinking, oh, I'm so much better at that than you are. Um, I can criticize too, you know, and, and, and doing that. And I, I'm saying that because I want you to think about Paul's transition. 
Paul hated Christianity, absolutely hated this religion, went from town to town, right? Dragging people into prison, being responsible for killing those, those that stoned Stephen threw their cloaks at his feet. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He wasn't just that. He was part of well, at least he was associated with the Sanhedrin. I mean, this is, he was a lawyer, a lawyer basically for, for, not Christianity, for Judaism. This is what he did. And he was somebody. And now he's in a place where his gospel, everything he represents, is now being threatened by what's happening in Corinth, by this group of imposters, by this group of... And and I want you to hold on to this idea because this is the big theme of 2 Corinthians, is he's writing and his... I know it sounds weird to put it this way, but his authority, in a sense, but it's better to say his influence is being threatened by this this group of people that's there. And they are speaking against him and against his message. And I don't know if you've ever been around somebody or you've been somebody, you know, that pontificated and talked about themselves just a little bit too much and built themselves up a little too much and loved to put out their resume. You know, and just like, hey, this is my resume. This is who I am. And, and, and they would stand there and say, this is, this is who we are. And Paul is nothing, right? And so Paul in this chapter opens his resume. And he feels like an idiot doing it. And he keeps saying that. In fact, three times in this chapter, he's going to say, I am not talking as my Lord would right now. He actually says that in verse 17. Again, he says, I'm speaking as a fool right now. A third time in verse 23, he says, I am out of my mind talking like this right now. He is so uncomfortable because he has to stand up and say, this is where I've come from. And this is what I've been through. And I want you to hear this. So I'm just going to read this chapter. And I want you to hear his heart here. Beginning in verse 16, he says this. Let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. And this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast You gladly put up with fools since you were so wise. In fact, you put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I'm I'm talking like a fool. I dare also to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Um... Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind talking like this. I am more. I've worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. This is his resume. Look at what he says here. I've worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Before I pick up in verse 25, I want to tell you about the 40 lashes minus one. You may have heard of this before. But in the Talmud, it talks about this. Um, And I'm going to read just a, a little bit of what it says about the 40 lashes minus one. Um, It was a a whipping, a punishment that you would receive from Jewish authorities. Now, what I want you to know about this is probably you've heard about Roman punishment and how they would have things like the cat of nine tails, which is like this whip with claws and glass and things that would rip into your skin. And we talk about that in Jesus' persecution. 
Um, but Jewish flogging didn't have anything like that. In fact, it was always done with leather straps, uh, pretty wide leather straps. And you'd get beat 39 times. And the reason why is because God said in the law, Deuteronomy, that you could not beat somebody more than 40. And apparently they were scared they would miscount, and so they said 39. But there were two types of beatings. And this is, this is what I learned, that there were two types of beatings that you would receive. One was um, uh, disciplinary, and the other was punitive. I'm going to tell you the difference between the two. One was to discipline, the other was to punish. Now, in my mind, those two words mean the same thing. But then I looked in the law and what it says, if it's discipline, it's God's grace in your life to beat you into recognizing his grace. And the punitive one, punishment one, it actually says in the law, you beat them until the soul leaves the body. And I was like, I hope that means pass out. Because I'd pass out after one. But I mean, it says until the soul leaves the body. And I was like, good grief, with a leather strap? Man, go ahead and give me that cat of nine tails or something. You're not going to beat me with a belt until I die. And that's what they had to face. That's how cruel and sick this kind of society they had come into was. And they would read these verses of the Bible. The Jews would read these verses of the Bible during punishment. And so if, if uh, I've been curious what Psalm 78 might have meant to Paul. Because at least five times he was beat to the tune of Psalm 78. And according to the Talmud, this is what you would read when you were beating somebody. Uh, God is merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger. You can hear him time after time. You can hear him saying that, right? Uh, And did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze uh, that does not return. They would read Deuteronomy 28. If you do not carefully follow the world and its law, which uh, the law which is written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters. They would read these verses while they beat whoever they were beating 39 times. And, and Paul went through this kind of stuff over and over again. And here's what's so crazy. This is the exact stuff that Paul was administrating all of his life. This is what he was doing. He was somebody in privilege. He was somebody that would do all these things. And for some reason, he had chosen to take his life and endure persecution and endure beatings. I want to keep reading from where I left off. Um, for the name of Christ, it says this, verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led to sin and I don't inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows I am not lying. And Damascus, the governor under King Eretus, had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. 
But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Uh, what I wanted to, you to get out of that chapter before I get into the chapter I wanted to focus on today is I want you to hear this, this um, Paul going through everything he had gone through, a night and day in the open sea. Whatever that means, you get the impression that, man, this, he's like floating on a piece of wood out at sea, you know. I don't know everything he went through, but get this. On top of everything else, listen to what he says. After everything I've been through, after all the persecution, after all of these beatings, after this thing that I could put before you talking like a fool, what has weighed on me more than anything else is my daily concern for the church. This is what my real burden in my life is right now, is how much I deeply love people. And he's, uh, these people are putting out their resumes of all, everything that would be impressive about him. And he says this, this is what I'm going to say about myself. I genuinely love these people. I genuinely love and I've sacrificed my life and I've laid myself on the line. And I'm talking like a fool to even throw that out there. But I need to. I need to say, I love you. And that is what this chapter is saying. This is my resume. I genuinely love from the heart these people. And what Paul had to struggle with over and over again, and it's going to come out in this next chapter, in chapter 12, is this daily concern for people that he loves with all his heart, but he can't be there with them. He can't be a part of this. Um, When I go into chapter 12 here, um, well, I'm just going to kind of read this. We're going to talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and I want to talk about what this means to us, uh, what this means to you. Um, A month ago, I would have been with a lot of people that I would have said, we can't really know what his thorn in the flesh is. Some people say this. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to try to convince you that... uh, of what I think this thorn in the flesh is. I think there's evidence for it. But what's more important is this larger context talking about why he says this and where he's going with this and how much I believe this needs to relate to us uh, and what he's talking about. This is what he says. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I don't know why he says that. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Now, the first thing, there's several questions in these next few verses. What What does he mean by the third heaven? Is he talking about himself or somebody else? Most commentators say he's talking about himself. I actually think he is talking about himself. The problem is he's going to say... um, I will boast about a man like that. This is what he says in verse 5. I'll boast about somebody like this, but I won't boast about myself. And you know what every single commentator said? They said, well, he's talking about himself in third person. It's called an iliism. He's talking about himself in third person because that's more humble. And I thought, well, I hear you, but am I allowed to talk about myself in third person and be more humble? Listen, guys, I'm nothing. I am absolutely nothing but Melinda's husband. That dude is a stud. Okay, I mean, I mean, can you really get away with saying that in third person and say, I'm being humble? Bear with me. And everybody says that about Paul here. They say he's being humble because he's talking in third person. And I'm like, that's not humble. I don't get the humility there. And so I've struggled with these verses for that reason. I'm saying, that's not humble. But then I started realizing what he is doing that might make a little bit more sense. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. 
The reason I think he is talking about himself is it's in the context of him boasting about himself. He says, I must go on boasting. And so he says he's talking about himself. Then he says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, he says in verse 7. Uh, so he does say they were his revelations. And, uh, and so I, I, I'm pretty convinced he is talking about himself. But let's kind of keep going here. He says it was 14 years ago. Um, I won't spend too much time on this, but no one knows what he's talking about here. Because if you date the book, almost everybody dates it about 55 or something like that. When, when, you, when you date this revelation 14 years ago, there's nothing in the Bible that you can look at. There's nothing that we know. What is he talking about? No idea. But that's kind of the point. Paul did not boast about these things. These were not things he liked to talk about. These were private between him and God. And I think that that's why he doesn't talk a lot about it elsewhere. But he, he says this, um, he was caught up to the third heaven. In Steve's class, it really relates to Steve's class, if you were in the Genesis class, we talked a lot about how the Jews and the temple, the temple mirrored in their minds reality and life and the universe and the world. Um, the three parts to the, the temple, there was like this, this first area that you would go into, and then you go into the Holy of Holies, and then you go to the most holy place. And it was this idea of approaching the very throne of God. And so, and so this idea of maybe the first heaven in the Jewish mind being the sky, the realm of the clouds, the second heaven being the realm of the stars, and the third heaven being approaching the very throne of God. I don't know. All I want you to hear in this is he was caught up to the very presence of God. This is the idea of what he's saying. And then he says this, verse 3, And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that. But I'll not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. I'm going to come back to what he's saying right there. Even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say. What a powerful verse. He just said this. Forget my reputation. Forget what I've done, what has been done through me. Forget my resume. Because what matters is what do people see in me right here, right now? Am I going to present everything that I've done in the past if I'm a hypocrite before you right here, right now? And so what represents my life and represents who I am is not what I have been. And especially since nothing that happened to me is something I did anyway. It was what God was doing. And now he's just saying this. This is what God has done in my life. I'll boast about what God has done in my life. I'll boast about maybe what I should be because of everything he's done for me. But I won't boast because my life needs to speak for itself before you. And the truth is, I have nothing to boast about. And you read Paul's letters, you start seeing, I struggle with sin. I struggle with who I am. I struggle with the fact that I'm not who God would have me to be in this world. I know that. And this is what he's saying. I just want you to look at my life and my actions and know this. I'm genuine and I genuinely love you. This is where he's coming from in his heart. But then he he says this, and this is the, the verses that I just have fallen in love with. To keep me from becoming conceited. Because of these surpassingly great revelations. And that's not really the way. I'm not comfortable with that wording. Because some of your versions are going to say. For me, to keep me from being exalted. And so it's not necessarily talking about him being coming conceited. It could be talking about others exalting him beyond measure. Instead of himself. 
could be either one. Um, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, now, my difficulty in this verse is, and, and, and I do, I admit that I love some of these verses that people struggle with. And it's like, what is he talking about? Uh, we've said he's talking about, you've probably heard, maybe he's talking about his eyesight or blindness or something like that. I struggle with that because this is a man that just said, I've been beaten half to death. My body looks like hamburger meat. I've gone through everything in the world, but forget all that. What really weighs on me is my concern for the church. Now all of a sudden he's going to say my thorn is I can't see well. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't really make sense. There's got to be more to what he's talking about here. This phrase, thorn in the flesh, blew my mind when I realized he didn't come up with it. He's quoting the Old Testament. And that phrase is used the same way every single time in the Old Testament. This is what kills me. It refers to the exact same context that Paul is talking about here. Check this out. Oh, that's SpongeBob. Check this out. Funny. My quick laugh. All right. Uh, check this out. Um, thorn in your side was the term used in the Old Testament for the opposition that remained in the land after Israel had settled. And three different times, every single time, I'm just going to read, well, I'll read one of them to you, a couple of them to you. This is what it says. Um, I'll read numbers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those who allow, who, who you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. Um, and he says the same thing in the other three references. It's all three references, thorn in the flesh in the Old Testament, which Paul was probably familiar with. The, the, this idea of Thorn in the flesh represented the opposition. It represented people. It represented that which you left, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites. These people that you left in the land, that you did not cleanse out of the land, would remain and become a thorn in your side. Those people. Now what's crazy to me is, not only is that what the term meant in the Old Testament, but Paul characterizes both his thorn and his opposition in Corinth as messengers of Satan. So he called, he in the previous chapter, he had said, these people are masquerading as angels of light and they're really servants of Satan. Now in the next chapter, he says, I have a thorn in my flesh. Servants of Satan. It's a servant of Satan, right? So this is the second clue in the, tell me what he's talking about. The third one is this. The context of 2 Corinthians 10 through 13 deals with the opposition that Paul faced at Corinth. This is the big picture of what we're talking about. And I don't think he left the context is what I'm saying. And finally, uh, he pleads with God that it be removed three times. Uh, this is going to be his third visit to Corinth, he says. He receives back a message three times. You have opposition here. You have people standing against you. And he writes these letters and he goes on these visits. And he says, three times I have pleaded with the Lord to remove this. That is enough for me to say, man, I'm pretty sure he's talking about this opposition. But on top of all of that, there's a, there's a fifth thing. And that's this. Throughout Paul's letters, and this is what's crazy amazing to me. Throughout Paul's letters, he sees himself as undergoing, and the church, as undergoing a new exodus. When they were baptized into Christ, it was as though they were, they were going through the waters again. When they took the Lord's Supper, it's though they were taking Passover. 
He calls them the Israel of God. He calls them the New Jerusalem. He says, you have come to Mount Zion. He saw Jesus as the new Joshua. He saw him as the new Moses. Everything you're seeing. In fact, a couple of chapters ago, do you remember what he said? The weapons we fight with are not weak in God, but they're strong for the pulling down of strongholds. And he saw himself in the shoes of Joshua and the kingdom, taking the kingdom into the land. And this is what I'm doing. And this is what I'm a part of. And these people have been left in the land. Just like in the days of Joshua, people have been left in the land and they're the opposition. A thorn in my side. I think that's what he's talking about. I could be wrong, but let me tell you what that means to me if that is what he's talking about. I'm just going to go back to this verse again. He says this. Verse 9, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. So he even kind of explicitly says what he's talking about. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What I've given you so far, and I'm going to close with kind of the point, but what I've given you so far is sort of evidence for why I believe the thorn in the flesh are those that stood against him in the land. Those people that he's been talking about through this whole book. Um, It's rooted in the Old Testament. It fits contextually. That's what I think he's talking about. But here's what's important. He feels helpless. Same thing happened in Galatia. When he says, I'm chained like a criminal for the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, but the gospel is unchained. The gospel itself is unchained among you. And even though I'm, I'm unchained, the gospel is not. This is the power of the message that I needed to hear. And man, I, I hope this means something to you. Um, and I'm just going to jump ahead to chapter 13 because this is the verse that, that really uh, struck out to me. In verse 3 of chapter 13, he says this, Since... You want proof that God is speaking through me. In other words, man, I'm I'm not another speaker. I haven't come here. I'm not another philosopher. I'm not here to compete with anybody. You want proof that God is speaking through me. And then he just concludes with this. He is not weak, but he is powerful among you. And in Paul's thinking, and this is what I needed in my own life to think like this, He's thinking, I am just a small part of God's kingdom. He is something so much bigger and so much greater than I am, and he doesn't need me. And when he says in Galatians, and he says, even if I'm chained like a criminal, the gospel's not chained, he says, God's pretty powerful, and he can work here regardless of what happens through me. And the reason I want you to hear that is because you're like me. You have somebody in your life, and I, you know, it, it kills me. It tears my heart out when I look at this. I've fallen in love with this message. I've fallen in love with the gospel, and I want so bad to bring that into somebody's life, your kid, your child, somebody that's close to you, and you get absolutely rejected. And somebody just looks at you, and they, I mean, you say, man, you're closed-minded. You have no clue. And you get that kind of reaction, and you're like, man, I'm a failure. I'm a failure as a preacher. I'm a failure as a parent. I'm a failure as an elder. I'm not doing this. I'm not making it happen. And even Paul struggled with this. And he concluded with this victory. And he says, but isn't it beautiful that even though I can look at my mom and my dad, who I get to preach in front of my mom and dad, right? I can look at my mom and dad and say, man... Y'all are, y'all are from Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all are from, well, they're not, from Michigan. and you, You're from the deep south. You're, you're backwoods, man. 
I reject your faith. I reject your religion. I walk away from you. I don't need it. I'm the intellectual one. (laughs) Just this arrogant attitude I could throw at my parents, right? I know none of y'all have heard that. This arrogant attitude I could throw and walk away. Here's the comfort the parents have, the comfort that I have as a preacher, is I walk away from any of you. And I can walk away from anybody. And somebody can look at me and walk away and say, Jeff, I don't want to hear it from you. They can walk away, but as soon as they walk away, God is there. And Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence, my God? If I make my, my, my home in the, de- in the heights of the heavens, if I make my home in the depths of the sea, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning, he says, and go to the outmost part of the work, even of the world, even there, your hand will cover me. You will guide me. You are wherever I go. I can't escape your presence. And Paul had this in his mind where he said, I am just a vessel. That's how he opens the book. I am just a vessel. And I'm putting before you an almighty God. And even though you reject me, and even though you look and you see country church, and you see songs, and you see stuff that you think you're rejecting, God is there wherever you go. He speaks to you in your sleep. He speaks to you at night. He will not leave you. And Paul stands there and says this. You can judge me. You can reject me. But he's powerful among you. And he's watching and he's covering. And I trust that he will guide you. A girl I love with all my heart. Several years ago. um, I flew to Austin. I was there for a wedding, and uh, I always see her when I go to Austin. She means the world to me. I know what it is to really love someone like a daughter. I mean that. And she just said, man, I I was so excited to see you. Um, I'm not a Christian. I have no faith in God, and I refuse to talk to you about it. Can we just go eat? And that's all she said. And I tried my hardest not to cry. And the whole time, I'm just sitting there just cut. And this deep pain in you. And I just remember the comfort God gave me when I said, man, I wish I was here. I wish I got to spend time with her. I wish I could, I wish somehow I'd tear off my arm if I could just help her not look at this world the way she's looking at this world. She'd fallen in love with some guy that rejected Christ, and so she rejected Christ, right? And then all of a sudden, he rejected her. And... It was beautiful to see her going through dark pain, hard things in life, but coming back to Christ. And God gave me this comfort. He said, I don't need you, Jeff. I don't need you. I don't even need parents. I'm powerful in working in people's life. And when you feel like you're giving up and you feel like this opposition is too strong, God steps in. And this is the whole message I see in the closing of this book in 2 Corinthians. Paul throws up his hands and he says, I'm going to do what I can. But you can reject me, but you can't reject an almighty, all-powerful God. Right now in your life, um, you have opposition, most of you. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Most of you know exactly what it is for someone to hate you, even though they don't even know you, to hate you and to be against you, even if they don't know you at all. And you know what that is. You wrestle with it at work. You wrestle with it in your life. And you're thinking, man, why do they hate me? Why are they against me? My own kids. People I love with all my heart. What, where does this come from? Paul is struggling with this. And he just finds this comfort. And I pray that you'll find it as well. The gospel is advancing powerful in this, powerfully in this land. 
and in people's lives. This morning, we witnessed something incredible and beautiful. And I lifted it together. We're going to kind of, uh, we're going to lift up uh, Isaiah uh, before you. And we're going to lift up Miranda before you. And actually, in just a minute, we're going to do that. But I was sitting there praying. I was like, what is Satan planning for that boy's life? What kind of opposition is he planning on setting up? And I just praying that God, uh, the God of, of this book and the God we've been studying, the Lift Me Form, would you surround him? Would you protect him? Would you be an almighty God when his parents can't be there, when his friends can't be there? Would you be his God to provide for him in that? Um, and so I actually, I'm going to close. We're going, we're going to close here in just a second, and uh, Brad's going to lead us in a song. But I want to ask um, if Isaiah and Miranda uh, would come in just to the middle real quick. And we're going to kind of surround them and have a prayer and sing a song over them especially. So come on back here with me. And Brad, you have to help me because I don't sing. All right, let's stand up real quick and just kind of, uh, if you can, kind of come in close and we're going to kind of surround these guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, just say a prayer and then I'll get uh, Brad to dismiss us with a song. Uh, my God, I just... Um, I want to come before you as a family, and I just pray that uh, church for us would not be about something we sit and watch, because uh, that's not what's happening here. Uh, this is a family, and God, getting to watch Miranda after praying and praying and praying with her over years, really, and seeing the depth of her love and her commitment to you, I praise you for her family, and I praise you for where you've brought her. And God, Isaiah, um, I just I love you already for him. And I pray, God, for both of them, that you would protect them, that you would be a shield around them, that you would keep their eyes focused on things that are higher. And uh, God, as a body, that we, we would really be that. We would be a family that uh, doesn't recognize ourselves as anything, especially not me or the elders or anything, that we really aren't that impressive. But you are mighty among us. And I pray, God, that uh, that's what would be recognized in our lives is even though we're weak, uh, that's especially when you're strong. I love you guys so much for that and how much my, my, my gut needs to hear that. I love you, Father. It's in Christ. Amen. Amen.